All right, as we head into warmer weather across much of the U.S. in the coming months, one way to stay cool and continue to get a good night's sleep is by checking out Bull and Branch Bedding and Sheets. They're a brand that we love here at Mo News. We only endorse products that we love. And we've been using Bull and Branch for more than two years now in our home. The sheets have been great, soft, breathable fabric that works for both cold and warm weather. We noticed the quality immediately and have gotten a few different sets in our house. I know Jill has as well. They're made with 100% organic cotton, completely free from toxins. I know that is very important to a number of you. And it's not just sheets. They have blankets, duvets, pillows, a whole variety of products to ensure you get a good night's sleep. And right now, they have a great deal for the Mo News community. Go check them out. I promise you will not be disappointed. Again, they get softer with every wash. So the deal right now is 15% off your order when you use the promo code MONEWS over at bullandbranch.com. That is bullandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code MONEWS for 15% off. Exclusions do apply. See site for details. Hey, everyone. It is Tuesday, July 26th. I'm Mo Shwinunu, and you're listening to the Mo News Podcast. This is the place where we bring you just the facts from verified sources and a breakdown of what matters in the news. I like to joke to those of you who follow me on Instagram over at, at Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H that I try to read all the news so you don't have to. Before we start here, a heads up that today, July 26th, is officially National Aunt and Uncle Day. As an uncle of three, I feel especially grateful. I'm sending my love to my nephew Aiden and my nieces Miri and Maya. Happy National Aunt and Uncle Day to all of you. So here are some of the headlines we're going to bring you today. First, the latest on that woman who opened fire inside a Dallas airport on Monday. The new indications we're getting on how close the Justice Department might be to indicting people inside of Trump's inner circle for what happened on January 6th. We have details on the prison Ghislaine Maxwell is going to likely be calling home for the next 20 years. Apparently, it offers yoga and Pilates. There's a study that's getting a lot of attention on Instagram about napping and health concerns. I've been looking into it. There's more to this than just the headline. I'll explain that. And finally, what we're learning about Britney Spears' musical comeback, it's with a legend and it's set for next month. Okay, let's get started with that scary scene at a Dallas airport on Monday where a woman fired several gunshots into the air at Love Field in Texas. Police eventually shot her and took her into custody. You may have seen the videos of people ducking and evacuating the airport around midday. The incident began at about 11 a.m. local when the 37-year-old woman arrived at the airport and went inside near the ticket counters. She went to the bathroom, exited wearing a hoodie, pulled out a handgun, and began shooting, apparently aiming at the ceiling, according to police. Thankfully, there were no injuries. An officer shot her in a lower extremity, took her into custody, and she's currently at the hospital. She is identified as Portia Odufwa, and we're still waiting on details as to what her motive was. The incident sparked chaos as people fled. Operations were suspended at Dallas Low Field for several hours on Monday. It is the smaller of Dallas's two airports that primarily serves Southwest Airlines. Now staying on top of the big story of the week, what's been called the U.S. economy getting its report card. Getting ahead of the news, President Biden on Monday said he does not think the U.S. will experience a recession, despite decades-high inflation. My hope is we go from this rapid growth to steady growth, and uh, so see, we'll see some coming down. But I don't think we're going to, uh, God willing, I don't think we're going to see a recession. God willing, he says. This all comes as the Commerce Department will release its initial estimate of second quarter economic growth on Thursday. If their report shows that GDP 
what's called gross domestic product, has fallen again, the U.S. would be in the traditional definition of a recession, which means two consecutive quarters of contraction. But there's a but to this. The White House has argued that even if the number turns out to be negative on Thursday, the U.S. economy is still not in a recession for the first half of the year. What they're going to be pointing to is other factors that define a recession in a different sense. Employment numbers, consumer spending, and industrial production. None of those numbers point to a recession right now. So what you're going to be hearing is a back and forth over the course of the next few weeks. We've talked about this on the show. Are we or are we not in a recession? Again, we might see a number on Thursday. Some people will say that's a traditional definition of a recession. But there are other factors that go into recession. And officially in the U.S., we are not in a recession unless the National Bureau of Economic Research, a third party, declares us in a recession. And that could be months away. At the same time, though, we got a warning from Wall Street on Monday that there might be tough times ahead. Walmart on Monday cut its profit guidance for the year, saying inflation is causing shoppers to spend more on necessities like food and less on items like clothing and electronics we can all live without. That shift in spending has left more items on store shelves and warehouses, forcing Walmart to aggressively mark down items that customers don't want. Walmart is the biggest grocer in the U.S. and really considered a bellwether for the state of the U.S. economy. That means as we get data from hundreds of other retailers this week, we could be seeing similar trends from others. The crazy thing here is this is sort of intended. The Fed is actually trying to cool down demand by bumping up interest rates, bring down the amount of cash in the market, meaning consumers have less to spend. They have less to spend. That means retailers will finally be able to bring down prices after record high inflation. So the bottom line here is when you see some of these numbers and some of these headlines, this is all sort of intended. Now, the concern, of course, is will the Fed cool down the economy so much that they bring us into, yes, a recession? Either way, on that news Monday night that Walmart is bringing down its profit guidance, stocks for companies including Walmart, Amazon, Target, Kohl's, Macy's, stocks for all those companies started to drop as investors started to recalibrate. Next up, we have a story that many of you in Canada have been closely following. Pope Francis offered a sweeping apology to indigenous people on their native land in Canada on Monday. The visit and the apology fulfills a critical demand by many survivors of church-run residential schools. Over the course of a century, they had become gruesome centers for abuse, forced assimilation, and cultural devastation and death. It's really a tragic story. The schools forcibly separated indigenous children from their parents as part of an effort to convert them to Christianity and assimilate them into wider Canadian culture through the years. In total, more than 150,000 children were separated from what's called Canada's First Nation tribes, and it was mostly done by the Catholic Church over 150 years. There was a report that was put out back in 2015 that found a number of the children were abused physically and sexually, and the schools were designed primarily not to educate the kids, but primarily to break their link to their traditional indigenous culture and identity, what the report called cultural genocide. The Pope told the crowd on Monday that, quote, I humbly beg forgiveness for the evil committed by so many Christians against the indigenous people. Canada has already paid billions to those communities as part of a settlement with survivors. The Catholic Church in Canada has paid $50 million, with another $30 million on the way. And now to the latest January 6th news, and on Monday, we began to learn more details about what the Justice Department investigation is leading to. Keep in mind, the Justice Department is different from the January 6th committee that you've heard so much about. The Justice Department is an independent investigation being done by prosecutors that could end in criminal indictments. The Wall Street Journal is reporting that two senior advisors to former Vice President Pence appeared before a grand jury under subpoena in Washington in connection with the January 6th investigation. Those advisors included Pence's former chief of staff, Mark Short, and legal counsel, Greg Jacob. 
The prosecutors have pressed advisors to Pence in recent weeks about efforts by lawyers for former President Trump to overturn the 2020 election result. One area of particular interest is a January 4th meeting. This is two days before January 6th. It's in the Oval Office, and a lawyer named John Eastman, who was a very conservative lawyer who basically told Trump he could do a little bit of anything, he was there in Trump's presence pushing Pence to either reject the electoral votes or suspend the January 6th proceedings. Of course, Pence would refuse to follow this guidance. Now, what's notable here is one of Pence's advisors, the lawyer, Greg Jacob, that apparently spoke under subpoena this week, he has told others that Eastman in that meeting admitted his proposals would violate the law, but he wanted to proceed anyway. So this is the criminal investigation. This is ongoing. We'll see what this turns into. This is all going while the January 6th committee has been having its very public hearings. Now, the top Justice Department leaders and prosecutors tell the Wall Street Journal they are not taking their cues from that congressional inquiry. But it does appear that the two things are effectively going along the same trajectory as they investigate what actually unfolded on January 6th and what led to it. So far, prosecutors have charged more than 850 people. These are mainly the folks who invaded the Capitol on January 6th uh, with things like seditious conspiracy against the U.S. The bottom line here, and this is why this is so interesting, is that the journal story, if, if it's true that the top two past advisors are talking to prosecutors, that means now that DOJ is going inside the inner circle to see how far the former president, Trump, and his attorneys were willing to go to overturn the election. Attorney General Merrick Garland has been under a lot of pressure to pursue a criminal case against Trump. We're probably not going to see that before midterms. They don't want to impact that result. But it's anyone's guess what could happen after November. And this has huge political ramifications. This all comes as both Pence and Trump are in D.C. this week speaking to groups as both indicate they plan to run for president in 2024. Pence spoke to a conservative think tank called the Heritage Foundation on Monday. Trump speaks to a group today called the America First Agenda Summit. That's a group of his former advisors. It actually is Trump's first visit to D.C. since he left office in January 2021. By the way, one other note here. For its part, the January 6th committee, this is the Congressional Committee, did release a transcript Monday of Trump's speech the day after the insurrection. And we saw a bit of this last week in the hearing. Monday, they released the actual transcript of what Trump was supposed to read. There were a lot of lines that were crossed out by Trump, and this was attested to by his advisors. All those lines, or nearly all those lines, were about the insurrectionists and negative comments about them being prosecuted. So it appears that Trump was really trying to lighten the language about what he said about the people who invaded the Capitol on January 6th. Okay, now let's get to our speed read. This is a quick roundup of the headlines around the world. I'm gonna begin in Florida. Remember Ghislaine Maxwell, Jeffrey Epstein's former girlfriend and now convicted sex trafficker? She is returning to the state where she committed some of her crimes. Maxwell was moved last week to FCI Tallahassee. This is a Florida low-security prison facility to serve out her 20-year sentence for sex abuse and sex trafficking. She was previously being held in a Brooklyn federal jail under a close watch in light of Epstein's, of course, 2019 jail suicide. It is not clear whether Maxwell will be held in restrictive housing or under any other special precautions, especially given her notoriety and longstanding concerns about her well-being. She was on suicide watch for a bit during her time in Brooklyn. The new home, FCI Tallahassee, is about 360 miles north from Epstein's now demolished home in Palm Beach, where prosecutors say some of the abuse occurred. According to an inmate handbook, people locked up at this facility in Tallahassee have access to a wide range of classes and activities that includes painting, art and ceramics, team sports like softball and volleyball. It also turns out the prison offers yoga, Pilates, and there's an inmate talent show. 
quick COVID update for you. We're seeing numbers on the impact the new Omicron BA5 variant is having on businesses already struggling with a worker shortage. Between June 29th and July 11th, nearly 4 million people said they did not go to work because they were either sick with coronavirus or caring for a sick loved one. That is more than double the 1.8 million people who said they missed work for the same reasons at this time last year. The BA5 variant of Omicron is now the dominant strain. We've been talking about this. It's spreading and companies affected by the pandemic labor shortage may not be able to keep up. This one anecdote struck me. A uh, chief executive for Remington Hotels out of Dallas, Sloan Dean, he tells the Wall Street Journal that staff absences due to COVID are up 50% in recent weeks. We have some sad news for you out of Hollywood. Paul Sorvino, the imposing actor who specialized in playing crooks and cops in movies like Goodfellas and shows like Law & Order, has passed away. The publicist said the actor, who was 83 years old, died of natural causes. His daughter, Mira Sorvino, a famous actress in her own right, wrote a tribute on Twitter that said in part, My heart is rent asunder. A life of love and joy and wisdom with him is over. He was the most wonderful father. I love him so much. I'm sending you love in the stars, Dad, as you ascend. His death means that just in a matter of months, we've lost a number of acting greats from several mafia classics. In addition to Sorvino, we've lost Ray Liotta, James Caan, and Tony Sirico. Some late night news for you. Full Frontal with Samantha Bee is over at TBS. The cable network owned by Warner Media has canceled the weekly late night series after seven seasons. Samantha Bee, who you might remember rose to stardom on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, was the most high-profile female talk show host. Bee was one of the few late night show hosts who would dive into serious subjects like abortion. There's one more media story that got my attention on Monday. The NFL has now officially gotten into streaming. It launched its mobile streaming service, NFL Plus. The service is available in two different tiers. There's NFL Plus at $4.99 a month, and then NFL Plus Premium at $9.99 a month. Both NFL Plus and Premium offer the ability to stream live, local, or nationally broadcast regular or postseason games, but only on your mobile phone or tablet screen. So these are basically the games you would get on your traditional TV, but now you're able to get them streaming through the NFL app. One of the reasons the app is limited right now is that the NFL still has long-term deals with networks like CBS and Fox to exclusively show the games on TV. If you're a hardcore fan, though, and you want to be able to see all the games, especially those of you who might be in a fantasy football league like me, you still need your NFL Sunday ticket, and that still belongs to DirecTV, at least for one more season. Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, says they're planning to come up with a new deal for Sunday ticket. My understanding is that both Google and Apple have both bid to take over the service, which of course lets you watch all games everywhere at any time. Now a bit of good news on the travel front amid what is a pretty bad year at airports. Alaska Airlines is launching a new technology, an electronic bag program it describes as the first of its kind in the U.S. The technology allows customers to register their luggage with the airline before they get to the airport. It's effectively this little electronic tag that goes on your luggage. It then allows you to transfer your flight information to those tags from an app on your phone. The rollout begins later this year and will include 2,500 very lucky Alaska Airlines frequent flyers. And Alaska Airlines expects that this will reduce the time travelers spend dropping off their luggage in half. Now, if you're not one of these 2,500 lucky Alaska Airlines passengers, it's unclear when it'll expand to the rest of you Alaska Airlines passengers. And for the rest of us, I wouldn't be holding out too much hope if you fly Spirit or Frontier though, folks. And before you take your snooze today, there's a new study out on the impact on your health of napping. The headline is not so good, but I've been looking into this and I'll explain for a second. The study officially shows that frequent or even usual napping during the day was linked to an elevated risk of high blood pressure and stroke 
That's according to a new study published Monday in the American Heart Association journal, Hypertension. I don't, know, I don't often read hypertension, but when I see headlines like this, I got to go take a look. It found that frequent or usual daytime napping in adults was associated with a 12% higher risk of developing high blood pressure and a 24% high risk of having a stroke compared to those who didn't nap. But admittedly, I'm going to admit my bias here on this show with you guys always. I'm a fan of napping, and so I dug deeper at this study. And there's some caveats that I want you, especially those of you who appreciate your naps, to keep in mind. Number one, most people who nap actually didn't get a good night's sleep. And bad sleep, as we know, is linked to a lot of medical issues. Number two, as far as the study is concerned, they also found that a higher percentage of people who described themselves as usual nappers were men who reported cigarette smoking daily, daily drinking, and insomnia. The study examined napping frequency, not duration, so napping habits could include a range of nap lengths, 10 minutes to several hours. The frequency of the naps were also self-reported without specific measurements given to participants. And finally, the people involved in the study were mostly middle-aged and elderly Europeans, so the results may not be generalized for all people. So the bottom line here is it's a concerning headline, but when you look at it, there's a lot of, uh, in fact, some of you on Instagram have been writing me notes being like, thank you for calling BS on the study because there's a lot of caveats here. There's a lot of self-reporting. So rest assured, if you like a good nap, I wouldn't be too worried about this. But if you are getting really bad night's sleep and the nap is making up for it, that's where there might be some health concerns. And one thing I found out, by the way, as I was looking into this story, a proper nap is 10 to 20 minutes. If you're napping more than 30 minutes and you get close to an hour, that's actually considered sleeping. You're getting into a deep sleep there after an hour. So according to sleep experts, 10 to 20 minutes is the ideal nap length. And one thing I don't plan to hit snooze on is the new reported Britney comeback with a music legend. It has been six years since Britney last released new music. And reportedly, according to Page Six and TMZ, she was back in a studio recording music with none other than Elton John last week. Apparently, the two are getting together for a brand new recording remake of the 1971 hit, Tiny Dancer. According to the reports, Spears met with Elton last week in Beverly Hills to record a new version of the song, and it's set to be released by Universal Music next month. Grammy-winning producer Andrew Watt, who's worked with everyone from Miley Cyrus to Justin Bieber to Pearl Jam, is allegedly overseeing the session. Remember that Elton has seen big successes here with his re-recorded duets of his past hits. That includes most recently his hit with Dua Lipa, Cold Cold Heart, which is a mashup of Rocket Man and Sacrifice. This collaboration, if it's true, and let's keep our fingers crossed here, let's hope it is, would mark Spears' first return to making music since her conservatorship ended last year. As I leave you here, a reminder to get your Mega Millions tickets. The jackpot is now the fourth largest in U.S. history. The drawing is late tonight, and the jackpot is now surpassed $800 million. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. We went daily this week, folks. Get excited. So make sure to download the show so it's ready in your inbox every morning. We'd love to hear your feedback on how we're doing, what we're covering, and what you'd like to see. Email us, podcast at mo.news. And of course, a reminder to also subscribe to our newsletter, the Mo News newsletter at monews.bulletin.com. And follow me for the latest and greatest on Instagram at Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H. See everyone back here tomorrow.